presence of the Lord. How many are happy you're in church this morning? Amen. Thank you for everyone who came out and was faithful during the outreach. We have a recap video that will be coming out soon to encourage every one of you and what was going on out there. Today you are in for a special treat. Today we're going to be hearing from three preachers, starting with Pastor Jared of Dallas, then with me, just your friendly neighborhood Chicago pastor. That was my wife, by the way, Joe and Nancy. And then we're going to close it out with Evangelist Adam Field. If you're ready, put your hands together as Pastor Jared Walker comes. All righty. Good morning, saints. So good to be with you this morning. Today I want to talk to you about the normal Christian life. The normal Christian life. Uh, turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 14 and verse 17. Romans chapter 14 and verse 17. This is the verse that I've prepared it just in my heart. I, I wasn't asked to preach till yesterday, but I thought I should be ready, and this, this verse has been in my heart. And on the heels of a, a great outreach such as the one we had, we're all fired up to go and whoop the devil and go win a lost and dying world for Jesus, aren't we? Can I get an amen for that? Come on, how many want to whoop the devil? How many want to bring heaven down to earth? Amen. We want to see the lost saved disciples made. We want to plunder hell. We want to populate heaven. Amen? And if you were here yesterday, uh, when I was preaching, giving the evangelism training, I said that we, as disciples of Jesus, should want to be more like Jesus in every way. And so, among other things, Jesus, the healer, cleanses lepers, opens blind eyes, raises the dead, preaches the kingdom... If we want to be like Jesus, we got to do those things. Amen? You can't be like Jesus and not do those things and, and not expect those things and say, that's not for me, that's not my calling. But I want to talk about a different aspect of Jesus' character. What Jesus was like in his relationships and what Jesus was like in his downtime. Amen? After the battle, after a long weekend. How many were here? All three days. Okay. So if you were here all three days, it was a battle. You got your sword bloody. Amen. You got, you got devil guts on your boots. Amen. Uh, you've got some testimonies and you've got some battle scars, right? Now, what do you do after church today? What you're, you, if you're like most Christians, you're going to beat the Baptist to the buffet line. Amen. Well, we're, but what, what are we going to do? We're going to fellowship. We're going to rest. We're going to relax. Amen. And we're going to enjoy God's goodness. Amen. I want to talk about the normal Christian life, Jesus being the most normal Christian there ever was. Amen? And what was he like in his downtime? What was he like when he wasn't healing the sick, surrounded by multitudes? What was he like when he was not opposing Pharisees and Sadducees? Well, we know that Jesus did spend a lot of time out in the highways and byways seeking and saving the lost. That was his vocation, amen? That is what he came to do in his earthly mission. We know he spent private time with his disciples, pouring into them, training and equipping them. We know he went to the synagogues and he, on, on the Sabbath, and he went to the temples for the feast days, and there he would often have these run-ins with the religious institution of his day. But what was it like when Jesus could take his sandals off. Amen? Come on. How many know Jesus was not too spiritual to take a nap on that boat while the waters were raging? Look at Romans 14 and verse 17 as a way of introduction to this concept. What does Jesus do in his downtime? For the kingdom of God 
is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and receives human approval. Now we often look at verse 17 apart from its context. It's often quoted and we don't know um, in chapter 14 what Paul was talking about. But he's addressing uh, certain members of the church who can't even eat together without theologizing and spiritualizing their preferences and personal convictions to now we're just having table fellowship but you've made it a debate. You've made it weird. Okay? Now... Christians, if we're normal Christians, we're also normal people. We're pleasant people. We're pleasant to be around. If you want to be like Jesus, he was pleasant to be around. Amen? And it, even, even so much that children wanted to come up to him. I always, I, I take pride in that. I like to think of myself as a baby whisperer. When my friends have new little infants, I say, give me the little baby, give me the little baby. Sometimes they like me, sometimes they don't. But I like to think that I have a way with children. Now, I know we, we can't do that so much in these days of stranger danger. There's a lot of uh, bad actors out in the world with our children. But Jesus, how many know Jesus loved children? They sensed the joy in him. They were not put off by him. He did not have a, 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 a long face about him, a, a hard countenance about him. But he was a joyful uh, he was a joyful servant of all. Amen? He loved people. He loved being around people. So... For us normal Christians, we got to act like normal people. Being a spiritual fruit nut in a flake is not a personality type. It's not. It is not a replacement for a personality. It's, it doesn't say much about you if all you ever talk about is your dreams and your visions of the third heavens. It doesn't say much about you if um, you're always talking about your favorite sermons and your favorite preachers. It really doesn't. Because there's so much of life and there's so much in God's world that we give glory to him for. Amen? See, a lot of times we have the sacred spaces and the secular spaces. In the sacred space, we take communion, the Lord's Supper. We pray and worship together. And then in the secular spaces, we go to our jobs. We do construction. We work at a, a dentist's office, and we're with our families, and we go to the grocery store, etc., etc. But all of it is sacred. Whatever you eat, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. He's, he's, Paul is saying to these people in Romans that, guys, you're missing the point. You should be enjoying God's goodness. You should be embracing unity in the body of Christ, but you're allowing these differences. And whether it's dietary differences, some people are vegetarian, some people eat meat, and they're willing to divide over it. And guys, it's like you're missing the, the forest for the trees, you're straining out a gnat and you're swallowing a camel. You're allowing these differences to get in the way of God's work and the unity of the Spirit. I remember around 2020, we attracted a certain group of conspiracy theorists. Once again, being a conspiracy theorist is not a replacement for a personality. Amen? Amen. And, and that goes for left-wing people or right-wing people, although I lean right. Generally speaking, I can't even stand the right-wing folks. If I see on your social media all you ever post is these rants telling the sheeple out there to wake up, I don't want to talk to you. You don't seem like a pleasant person to me. Amen? Jesus was a normal person. 
I want to give a few examples from the Gospels that demonstrate this. We're not going to turn there, but in John chapter 2, you know about Jesus at the wedding in Cana. Jesus at the wedding in Cana. When they're running out of wine at the wedding, nobody knows who Jesus was at this point. He was about to perform the first of his signs that revealed who he was, but he was still undercover. He was just a normal guy in the midst of that ceremony. But his mother knew he was special. Amen. How many, how many you have a mother and she thinks you're special? Amen. So his mother knew he was special, so she's like, psst, psst, Jesus. This is your time to shine. This is your time to shine, big boy. And he's like, no, woman, what does this have to do with me? But what does he end up doing? What does he end up being persuaded to do? Because he's not out there to make a show. He's just there to celebrate the wedding. Amen? The wedding in itself of these two people in the sight of God, that's just a beautiful thing. You don't need to add to that. Amen? You don't need to add to that. But what does he do? He turns the water into wine anyway, and he makes the best wine. Amen? And it wasn't grape juice. It was wine. It was the best stuff. And they got down with their bad selves at that wedding. They cut a rug. They did the cha-cha slide, the electric slide. They did all that stuff for the glory of God. And he didn't stand up at the end and give an altar call. He did not stand up at the end and give an altar call or, or some sermons or, or give some speech or sermon about it. That Listen, the joy of that wedding, the joy of people celebrating the marital love of those two people was not a means to an, was, was means to an end, but in another way it was an end in itself. What I mean is it's means to an end in that it gives glory to God, but you don't need to add something to it in order for it to give glory to God. Amen? The enjoyment that God's people can have in unity just hanging out and, and cutting it up, that in itself brings joy to the hearts. I'm going to read a text here. Look at Luke 10, 38 as I prepare uh, to uh, expound on this text here. And this was one that was in my heart. This is the famous story of Mary and Martha. Bethany, this is where it took place. And this was a town about two miles from Jerusalem. I read a book once I recommend. It's called God's Favorite Place on Earth. It talks about all the time that Jesus spent at Mary and Martha's house, hanging out with them and their brother Lazarus and their father Simon. And it was just him kicking it. Like that was the one place where he could just kind of relax, where the, all the people, all the pressure of the world, of, of his messianic duties, it seemed to be alleviated while he was at their house, resting and being refreshed with his friends. With his friends. Look what it says here. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Mary was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered. You are worried and upset about many things. How many are worried and upset about many things? But few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Looking at this text, you see these two sisters, and they, they become sort of the archetype. There's the workaholic, right? 
who just wants to work, 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 be a busy bee for Jesus. How many are like that in life? You identify with that person. You don't know what to do if you're, with yourself if you're not working. And then there's someone who can slow down and be at Jesus' feet. I don't think Martha's problem was that she was working too hard, but that she missed the point. There was a joy in serving Jesus a stake. Amen? There was a joy in cleaning the house and showing hospitality for the master. There was a joy in that that she missed. See, when we do these things, whether we're working or we're playing or, or, or whatever, whoever we're with, whatever relationships, it's a window through which we see the grace and goodness of God. She was to work for the glory of God. She was to take gratitude, contentment. I'm serving the master meal. I'm going to serve him the best meal instead of fretting. Why isn't my sister doing as I am doing? So I'm going to invite uh, our great evangelist friend, our great pastor friend, <laughs> Pastor Joe, to talk about being a normal Christian like Jesus. Amen. Let's give it up for Pastor Jared. That was awesome. I'm going to explain to you in how many ways that was awesome. So if you know anything about me, I live in the land of Awkwardville. And so what I said to my friends, having them all in town, is let's all preach a sermon together. Now just imagine that. That's like trying to herd a bunch of cats, okay? And then I said, but to make it even a little bit more difficult, we won't know what the other one is preaching. So whoever starts it off, we all have to trail with them. Talk about fun. Adam started off this, uh, the first service with a passage from Song of Solomon. Song of Solomon. If you have any idea about Song of Solomon, it's basically about falling in love and love making and talking about women's body parts. I said, help me, Jesus. Of all the passages this brother could have picked, now we got to continue the course of Song of Solomon. Then Jared, God bless his dear heart, at the height of our passion for evangelism, winning souls, and making disciples, he picks the most anticlimactic subject. Let's talk about resting for Jesus and what we do when we're just chilling. Let's just learn how to chill for Jesus, the most intense weekend of our church's life. Let's just talk about chilling for Jesus. But I think I know what you're laying down, so God help me now to keep the thing going. And then I said to Adam, I said, because I have no idea where Jared's going to go and how I'll tie it together. You have a choice, Adam. And if you don't know Adam, you're going to meet him in just a moment. You can either try to tie us all together or just go on your own thing and bring us to the altars and touch our hearts for Jesus, because that's what an evangelist does. Amen. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 6 verse 33. I think I know where my brother's going and I'm going to keep going there because as a pastor I can relate to this and that means how do we seek God when we're not in a, at an outreach? How do we seek God when we're not all out there shouting on the streets? And brother if you get a second can you put that group picture up from our Facebook page? Over a hundred people going downtown marching Jesus 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 Come on, man. I felt like we were the 300 going to war, man. I bet my dad, who grew up on the south side, never imagined you'd be marching downtown shouting Jesus with a bunch of radicals. But that's what God will do. God will just flip and, and dip and twist you all up around and say, that's my kingdom. Now go do that. He's, the, he's in the upside-down kingdom. What we sometimes think is the right way God says, no, I've already done that and tried that. You guys do this now, you know? As they get ready to put up this picture, I want you to think about the joy that we had being out there. Some of you maybe couldn't make it. I pray that you can. Uh, next time that we go, now until then, the next 52 weeks, we're going to go out every week doing something great for God, whether it's evangelizing before life groups or Monday night downtowns, downtown with Juan or Fridays at the abortion clinics and Saturdays in the community. But let's give it up for what the Lord did. Amen. 
This is you. You're clapping for you. Here we are. You don't like the boast, but every now and then you got to toot your own horn, because nobody else will. I didn't know this, but now people are telling me this is the largest street evangelism outreach in Chicago. There's, there's people who go out and, and, and do worship nights or prayer walks or whatever, but this is the largest from what I'm being told. And if you see of one that's bigger, please let us know, who actually gather together to go preach the gospel, not hand out water bottles, check your teeth, and see if you need a dentist, which those things are wonderful. We need compassion-style ministry and charitable ministry. But from what I've been told from those who have been in Chicago even longer than me, that this is the largest number of any group that goes out and preaches the gospel. Now think about this. That's awesome, but there was 400,000 people out there. We're not competing with other churches. We're competing against the devil, amen? So let's double, triple, and quadruple this every week, not just once a year, amen? But that's awesome. If you could just keep it up there for me, please, my brother. That's awesome. When you're in this moment, and that's the moment that we just had, it's so easy to get caught up in thinking that's what ministry is. Or when you come to a church like this on Sunday where you're blessed with great preaching and, you, and you're just always hearing the word from the microphone or the great singing, doesn't Des and the worship team do amazing? Can we give it up for them all week long? Amen. Like, you're just amazed. You're like, this is talent. You know, it's almost like, you know, America's got talent. It's like the church got talent. And yes, we know this. The church has produced so many good speakers and leaders and musicians and artists. I mean, have you ever seen the Sixteen Chapels, you know, the Sistine Chapels? This is amazing. We've done this. Christians, we've built castles. We've built universities. We're pretty smart, too. We invented the scientific method. Francis Bacon, not the bacon you eat, but the scientist was a Christian. Scientific method came through him. More was written about about the Bible by Sir Isaac Newton, then he did physics and gravity. Can I hear an amen? We come from a long line of amazing people. And you may just, as, as I do, get so caught up in this that you think this is what ministry is always like. And as much as I want it to always be like this, it's not always like that. Sometimes ministry, as my brother was saying, is just sitting down with Jesus and having a meal. How do you have meals with your friends and family? Are you able to have the testimony of Jesus around your friends and family? Or do you find yourself slipping into the humor that they have, the vulgarity or the language that they use? I know that it was tempting for me. When I first became a Christian, when I was around my friends, I still talked like them. And it was funny because, you know, we got different gradients of radical, you know, because we're radical. You're radical if you're out there. But in here, there's different gradients of radical. Some of our brothers were saying to people at Lollapalooza, turn from Babylon. This is wickedness. You can't even go in there. And I'm like, as the pastor going, oh. Uh, there's some of the bands in there that I actually kind of like, you know. I guess, you know, I guess I got to figure out what we're all saying. But I understood what they meant, you know, because I stopped listening to secular music for a long time. But now there's some songs that I can enjoy. It doesn't mean I like their lifestyle. Come on, don't you all look at me so sanctified right here. I know some of y'all know what I'm talking about. Bum, 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 bum. That's not all Christian. That's not all Christian. But listen, I, you know, and sometimes people, they're, they're like, well, you know, I came from this pastor, so no, all of this is the devil. El Diablo, the devil. And I'm like, okay, so there's different gradients of radical. But here's what we can agree on, is that if I ever liked a musician there or I liked the song there, I'm in the world, but I'm not of the world. And so if I'm relaxing and I'm putting on music, I'm making sure I'm checking it with the kingdom. 
I'm checking with my king, amen? If I'm going out to eat and drink, like my brother said, you see some tie in there? You see some tie? Come on, I'm working on this, brother. You see, if I'm going out eating and drinking, because, you know, Christians have argued, was it wine or was it grape juice? And I was under the impression that it was grape juice for a long time until I actually got a Bible dictionary and started studying. No, it was wine. It's the same Greek word of the stuff that says don't get drunk on it, amen? And so I began to realize, like, man, you could drink wine with Jesus, but notice the difference. It's not drink wine with bad baby, it's drink wine with Jesus. It's dr- if, if you're going to enjoy that kind of eating and drinking, do it as if Jesus was at the table because we just took communion. We need to have that as a mindset. And so I think what my brother wants us to get, and I want to now build off of it in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, is how we seek the Lord with the same passion, our same conviction, because I'm glad we're not all alike with the same convictions. Because remember there in Romans 14, as our brother was saying, some were vegans back then. That's nothing new. Some were saying, I want to be totally abstinent from alcohol. That's why he literally says the kingdom of God is not about eating or drinking. Because what were they fighting about? What they were eating and what they were drinking. And so the Bible says it's not what it is. It's of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. If you're with me in Matthew 6, 33, somebody say, I'm there. Amen. Notice how Jesus said this after this uh, long talk that he had given them about all these kingdom principles. He knows that on their mind, they got to be thinking, Jesus, if I got to love my neighbor and if I got to pray and if I got to fast and I can't kill somebody in traffic and I got to get along with everybody. Lord, how am I going to pay my bills? Like, when do I actually go to work? When do I do stuff that's not like what you're talking about here, almost like esoteric? Because in their mind, they were almost thinking religiously, well, that's That's what we do in the temple. That's what we do over here. But you see, the new covenant was showing that you are now going to be the temple of the Holy Spirit. So where you would look forward to maybe once a year during Passover or some festival, going to the temple and that being the height of your your experience as a Jew, Jesus was now saying, that's every day as a Christian. Come on, don't miss this. What the Jews were thinking, I get once a year. Jesus says, you're going to have every day of your life. But you have to understand how to be kingdom-minded in your everyday life. How are you kingdom-minded on your job? How do you represent your pro-family Bible, Jesus said, male and female beliefs when your boss is a lesbian or homosexual? How do you keep Christ first and you believing that life is in the womb and that to abort a baby is murder when your co-worker, a co-worker is literally talking about fornicating and going to the clinic to get the problem fixed? you got to be as wise as serpents, as harmless as doves. Because you have to understand being countercultural was what we were birthed into. You know, I do feel sorry for a lot of Bible folks because they think that the American culture being what it was is what we're always going to be guaranteed to have in the sense of we understand what a man and a woman is and a family and all this. And now they see the culture changing. And I know that can be scary for them. But I asked them to go back to the Bible and say, baby, you were made to start a revolution. We just getting ready to start doing some stuff now because we're going to find out who the real ones are once we shake loose everybody who's just been coming to church because their family came because coming to church now may cost you something hello you see now we're just getting right to the starting place of where the church was begun the church was begun being the outsiders
They were pedophiles. Their soldiers could keep little boys with them as sex slaves. Even the Spartans, God forbid, that's what they did to raise up their soldiers in camaraderie. Look it up, the Greek warriors having sex and pederasty. Homosexuality was approved during that time. As a matter of fact, as they say, Rome conquered Greece militarily, but Greece conquered Rome culturally. Look at their gods. Look at their sexual perversions. Look at their temple prostitutes. I heard they started a church for Beyonce, but it's not even that bad. Look at when they start a church for Beyonce, and then they have a prostitute looking like Beyonce. That's what it was back then. Somebody say, back then, it's like how it is now. And so Jesus wanted them to know real quick, hold on, hold on, hold on. This love your neighbor stuff is not just when you're in church and you're coming out of the parking lot. Oh, oh, you go first, sister. Oh, I'm sorry. Toot, toot. God bless you. No, no, this love your neighbor stuff happens on the 90 at 4 o'clock in the afternoon when my wife is sweating a little bit because she wants to get home because it's hot in the car and somebody just cut her off. She's got to learn to love her neighbor. My little sweet Greek wife over there, look at her and go, oh. Yeah, but she can get mad in traffic. I can get mad in traffic. Your pastor right now, within a few moments, going on the 90, my sanctification can can get tested very quickly. And then what are we supposed to do on our job when people, they abuse us and they use us? You know, that turn the other cheek stuff, that's just not for the literal slap. That's when people are lying about you on your job. That's when people are actually, uh, you know, trying to come against you to get your job. They might, I mean, think about this. They may do you like they did Daniel. They look at you and go, man, I want that, that person's job. How can I get it? Because you know some conniving people. How many know that? Right. And then they could say, well, but I see they're a Christian. And Pride Month is coming up. And you know our boss who gives out promotions is a lesbian. So I'm going to make sure my boss recognizes that they don't have on the rainbow flag. You know, next time you can just have it on, but a little scripture reference underneath it that says Genesis, you know, and just say, I'm wearing mine to remind you all sinners of the flood that's coming. Amen. But I'm saying be shrewd as serpents, as harmless as dove. And that's the way it can feel like in the world. I know for a fact that the world, especially in places like Chicago, they don't want us to succeed. Even though some of your friends and coworkers who may not be safe may not be outwardly conniving against you. But if you ask them secretly, Do you want Christians to have Christian schools that they can give to the community? Do you want Christians to own blocks of land like the bears do so they can dress in tights and tackle each other and men shout them down? Do you wish that a church was as big as that stadium? Most of your friends and our friends would go, no. Church people shouldn't have that. Church people should be broke. Church people shouldn't have nice churches. Church people shouldn't be, you know, leaders in our. Do you want a Christian to be your governor? No, I want a transvestite mayor who thinks they're a 24-year-old Vietnamese. I want that one to be my my gender-confused mayor. They would rather have that than do you want a Christian? Are you listening? Don't get confused while I'm preaching. I said they would rather have a transgender. Let me be very clear. They would rather have a transgender man who thinks he's a 24-year-old Vietnamese girl be their mayor than to have a Christian be their mayor. But what are you going to do? What am I going to do? We got to go out there and win in Jesus' name. But we win from a place of righteousness. And we don't win from a place of striving, getting down on their level, because only a pig likes to get dirty, right? I want to stay clean. You get in the mud with pigs, they're going to like it. No, no, we're going to rise above and soar on the wings like eagles. We're going to learn how to put God first in all that we do until they recognize, yes, like Daniel, I do have a blessing that comes from my God. But you know what? I'll never bow to yours to keep what I have.
If he's going to bless me, my God's going to bless me as I keep his word, even if it costs me the lion's den. And so what I think is going to happen in this culture as we do these kind of outreaches, as we do these kinds of things, we're going to learn how to be Christian, Christ followers, from the traffic to our jobs, to the presidency, to our governors and mayors. And when we get there, we're going to tell them exactly how we got there and why we got there. To God be the glory and for his kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven. Amen? But seek first your paycheck. Is that what it says? But seek first your family. Now, those are good things, but they got to have their place. They're not first. Seek first his kingdom and his what? Righteousness. And then what? All of these things will be given to you as well. You see, the world is better at being the world than we are at being Christians. You see, they know how to get around each other and support each other. That's why everything transgender seems to be so popular right now. What was a year ago? It was all about BLM. What was it before that? It was whatever they are on. They know how to unify around their cause and get that to be number one and everybody flock to it. That's why when we were preaching the gospel during the BLM riots in front of Nini's Deli, there were homosexuals with transgenders and African-American people all there shouting us down for the same reasons because they made a joint pact with each other. I'll take BLM. I'll put it with your, your lesbian agenda if you put it with the indigenous people agenda and we all share these things together. Tear down Christian values. But why can't we in the church get over our petty differences like our brother was talking about what we eat or drink or how we see these things and get about busy for the kingdom of God? Black, white, yellow, pink, purple, all precious in God's sight. And we put the gospel of Jesus first. We put the gospel of Jesus first. We go out and preach the word of the Lord. We stand on the word of God. That's why if you have a Christian co-worker or a Christian friend on your job, I encourage you to have a lunch break Bible study. And we've already begun to see the fruit of that while working professionals and those in the, in, the, in the workforce are using that time to join together with Christians because the world is doing that to get their agenda. You need to do this for God's agenda to come to pass. But you don't do it as they do it. You don't do it by hating your neighbor. When I stand out in front of the abortion clinic, those people see me as their enemy. They flick me off so that they can go murder more children. I always say to the escorts that are out there, notice how your followers treat us, you know, those who agree with their side. Notice how they curse us out, they hate us, and they speak wickedness against us. But notice how we always bless them, pray for them, say that we love them, and we're there for their good. I always tell them, I'm better off than you, baby. Not better, but better off. I'm not a better person, but I'm better off. And then I like to mess with them a little bit. I say, my guru's better than yours because my guru, my master teaches me to love my neighbor. Somebody say, seek first the kingdom. As Adam is deciding to keep this theme or go into a totally different direction as a rocket ship, we'll support him either way. But before I get done, I want everyone to get this. You need to learn how to take the kingdom to where you're going in the next few moments. What does it look like? Where are you going with it? Let me give a few examples in my closing moments here. I like to snowboard and wakeboard. Those are my two hobbies. I take the kingdom of God with me. Two stories in, di in different seasons. I was snowboarding once. It was Monday because pastors, we get to take Monday off because we work today. Amen. So if you see us taking off, enjoy Monday. I try not to make you all too jelly by posting up a bunch of pics on Monday. I wish I was a pastor and I could do that. Just be careful what you wish for because you haven't been to the funerals, the divorce fights, and all the crazy teens that I had to put up with over the years. 
years, okay? Can I take a Monday off? Yes, okay, I can. So I'm out there snowboarding, and I'm sitting next to a dude, and most times dudes are silent, but, you know, you give them enough time together, maybe a little five-minute up the mountain, little, you know, little ride up there. You might start to talk a little bit. So we just started talking. And then I just started to hear him talk about what he was out there doing. You know, of course, hey, man, I just got my day off. I'm, out, I'm doing the same thing. We're snowboarding. Okay. But then I heard in my heart that the Lord said he's a police officer. He's a police officer. Let him know that I know he's a police officer and that I've been trying to get his attention. You talk about feeling like a weirdo, fruit nut in a flake. I'm like, oh, Jesus, I don't want to do this. How am I even going to do this? How do I go from, yo, dude, the snow is really gnarly out here. Hey, God has spoken to me. I have downloaded from heaven beep, boop, beep, a word for you. You will hear this word and it will resonate in your heart. You are a police. Man, I, I just thought to myself, there's no way, as bold as I am, as radical as I am, I did not know how to do that. We get down off the lift, snowboard down, whoosh, whoosh, whoosh. We have fun. We meet back up with each other. We get back into our seat. We start going. And he says, you know what, man? I don't normally tell people this, but I just want to let you know I'm a police officer. And you know what? It's been really cool hanging out with you. And I don't usually tell people because I work in the city and they don't like us. And I didn't know how you would feel about me. But I'm just out here resting. I missed it. You see how quickly it came? Kingdom. Kingdom was right there. Kingdom was right there. But what was I thinking? Loudspeakers shouting on the streets, Jesus, Jesus, you need Jesus, you need Jesus, Jesus loves you. Let's argue about atheism for a real long time, and I'll feel smart, and I'll try to win an argument, but not a soul sometimes. And here we go, here we go. And God was saying, you know what kingdom is? Just looking at somebody with some courage to say what God is saying. And I knew if I tried it at that point, I would look like a joke. Hey, you know what? Well, God actually told me that you were going to tell me that. You know, it was too late. But I learned my lesson. Somebody say, lesson learned. Fast forward now to the nice season. I only snowboard because I can't wakeboard. That's almost like the same thing, but we hold on to a rope and we get pulled. But I'll tell you what's different about it is the weather. I like the sun. I like being out on nice days. Cold days, muy frío is muy mal to me. So this year, wakeboarding, and all of a sudden, and, and let me say this because it's going to involve a female, a young adult, and I want you to know as your pastor, you can always trust me in these situations. I'm just going to clarify this because I don't want somebody to think like when I tell you this story, like I'm just like hanging out with girls, just talking, you know what I'm saying? No, we're in a public space, people are around, and we make friends with each other as we're wakeboarding in a sport. Just nod your head and believe that your pastor is holy. If I'm ever not holy, I, I promise I'll tell you. This is just a side note. I have no plans of ever backsliding, but if I ever did, I'm not doing it with the secretary. I'll just tell you I'm out of here. I have no respect for pastors who try to pimp game in a church. If that's what you want to be, just go to the club and let us know we can keep having church. Amen? So just to let you know, I'm sitting there minding my own business, and then all of a sudden, she comes, sits down right next to me, but you can tell she's got the weight of the world on her. What's going on, man? What's going on? I can see it's not wakeboarding. She begins to share with me, oh, you know so-and-so, and that was her boyfriend. We're not together anymore. Oh, okay, what happened? She starts to tell me the different details. I won't share it here. But then in a few moments, I just began to look at her and say, you're valuable to the Lord. She knows I'm a pastor. I said, you're valuable to Jesus. You have worth and value. 
And I said, do you ever think about that? Oh, I, you know, I used to go to church. I was raised Catholic. And just gently, this is not microphone. This is not yelling. This is putting God first on a day off, wakeboarding. And I think that's what you were going to. How do we live this out? Just gently, I just began to say, well, I'm, I don't mean religion. I don't, that's not what I'm talking about. And I told my testimony to her. And then I began to say, you know, God has been with me in my deepest, darkest valleys. And I never thought that I would find somebody who loved me. I was single for 10 years after giving my heart to Jesus. Jesus, and I was watching all of my friends get married. And you know what? God will do that same thing for you. Just got to put him first. And then, you know, right there, life jackets on. We're all there just soaking wet. But you know what? Tears began to come down her eyes. And then, you know, I'm a holy man. I said, I'm going to put you in a group message with my wife and I. And we sent her some of our sermons, an invitation to the church. She actually, uh, she has two winters every year. She works in Colorado during our winter and then goes to South America for their winter. And she teaches on skiing. So if you ever think of this young lady I'm talking about, would you pray for her? And my wife and I began to reach out. You know what she put right there in that message? She said, oh, I haven't felt this good in a long time. Now, I wish I could say she got saved, spoke in tongues, fell down, went boom, shake, rattled, and rolled. And I had it all on video to show you on my Instagram so I could get credit for it. But it wasn't anything like that. It was just subtle. It was the Holy Spirit's whispers. It was God saying, I care about this person right here. So you need to get tuned into what I am doing because the title's not your idol. You're not here just to be a pastor. You're here to be a fellow human, a brother in humanity, and extend my hand of grace. I just want to encourage you today as I give the rest of the service, and this brother can go as long as he wants. Amen. I said amen. As I get ready to give it to him, make sure you know how to seek God and all that to do. Let's give it up for the man of God of faith and power for the hour, Evangelist Adam Field. Amen. Thank you so much. Just close your eyes across this room. Oh, Father, we thank you, Lord, for your presence, Lord. We thank you for your word. Your word, it nourishes our soul. It builds up our faith. Every time we hear your word, we feel our faith getting fed. Jesus, we're in your presence right now. We're in your presence, Lord. I feel a little bit like that little boy hearing all the great teachers teach. Just Jesus as you preached. And that boy, when he counted up what he had for lunch, he thought, I'm going to come and feed Jesus. I just want to bless Jesus. And that boy took the little that he had, not thinking of the 5,000 others that were hungry, not thinking of anyone. All that boy was thinking about was feeding Jesus. And when he brings what he had to Jesus, Father, you blessed Jesus in that moment because he took what that boy had and he fed the 5,000. Because we need to put Jesus first. Even in evangelism, we're not putting souls ahead of you, Jesus. Even in the church, we're not putting the church ahead of you, Jesus. Why we do what we do is even more important than what we're doing. We do it because we want to bless Jesus. We want to minister to the heart of Jesus. We want to glorify Jesus. That's why we do what we do. So Lord, I pray that you would just speak to our hearts here again 
and again and again that your word will continually bring Jesus back to our mind, our focus, and our heart. In your name I pray, amen. Turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 41, please. Genesis chapter 41. How would you feel about going to a doctor who lies to you about your health? Would you go to a doctor who told you lies about your blood work, told you lies about your x-ray? It would feel good in the moment, though. Imagine going to a doctor. You have all these pain, and you've got all these things going on in your body. And the doctor just looks at you and says, repeat after me. You are healthy. you holy. you got everything together. you got no pain. You're going to look at the doctor and go, okay, I'm healthy, and I'm holy, and I've got no pain. Doctor, are you going to check my blood work? Are you going to do an x-ray? Oh, at this doctor's office, we don't check for blood work. We just get people to make declarations about themselves, about how healthy they are. Well, that's a great doctor. Why? I'm healthy. I got no problems. My doctor said so. Imagine walking out of that doctor's office and going home to your wife and saying, there's nothing wrong with me. Oh, I'm so glad to hear that. Why? Well, the doctor said I'm good. But do you still have pain? I'm going to be real with you. I still got a lot of pain. But the doctors just said make, make declarations. So I'm just going to keep going every day like I'm good. All of a sudden you end up in an emergency room because it gets real bad within a few weeks of that doctor's visit. And in the emergency room, the doctor comes over. The emergency doc says, did you not get any type of blood work done recently? No, sir, the doctor I went to said that that wasn't important. He just said to make declarations that I'm healthy. Well, unfortunately, now you've got a terminal ill situation. You're going to die within 72 hours. How would you feel about that? You'd be so upset with that doctor, wouldn't you? You'd be mad at that doctor. Why didn't, why didn't he tell me the truth? How come he never ran blood rug? How come he never did an x-ray on me? All he did was tell me what I wanted to hear. I feel like we're in a generation that just want to be told what they want to hear. They just want to be told what they want to hear. Just, just tell me what I want to hear. Tickle my ear. Tell me what I want to hear. Don't tell me the truth. Do you know what would happen to a doctor if he lied in practicing medicine? Oh, he would lose his license to practice. He would end up in prison for manslaughter. And he would never, ever do medicine again. You know what happened to a doctor? If they tested him for alcohol or substance abuse on the job, oh, he'd be done. Some preachers think they can have alcohol in their breath and stand behind a pulpit. Let me tell you and be real with you. You can't drive cars with that in your body. Why do you think you can preach with that in your body? Why do you think you can evangelize with that in your body? If it's serious in the corporate world, if it's serious in the medical world, it better be serious in your life. Better be serious in your life. Would you go to a mechanic with, a, with, your, with your car that, and, your, and that mechanic just tells you, there's nothing wrong with your car. No, it's making noises. No, there, I've looked at it. it there's, it's good. There's nothing wrong with your car. You're, you're fine. Just keep driving it the way it is. 
Well, that's grass. Saved me a lot of money. You get in your car and all of a sudden the wheels come off. What are you going to do? You're going to be calling up that mechanic going, why didn't you look into the problems of my car? You're never going to go back to him. You're going to make a Google review. You're going to be telling everybody that mechanic, he doesn't tell the truth. He's a scam artist. All that mechanic is telling people is what they want to hear just for their own selfish gratification and provision. Imagine going to a church where all you got from that preacher was everything that you wanted to hear. Imagine going to a church where all that preacher talked about is how you can live the best life you could ever live with Jesus. You'll never have problems. You'll never have issues. I'll just keep passing the plate three, four times during service so I can keep living the luxurious lifestyle. That I get to live off the back of your hard work. Oh, it sounds like a lot of things going on in our culture today. Where if you want truth for your body, if you want truth for your car, don't you think that you want truth from your men of God? That's why you're here today. You didn't come here to get what you wanted to hear. You came here because you wanted the truth. This generation needs to eagerly desire truth eagerly desire give me what i need to hear you know a young man recently came to me he said adam i want you to come by my place of employment i am preaching to everybody i'm preaching to everybody adam every single day i'm just up there preaching and i want you to meet my boss well my schedule is busy so i didn't have a lot of time but I did decide to do it after a few weeks, and I spontaneously went to his place of employment down in Pensacola, Florida. And when I went in there, the manager recognized me. He said, are you the evangelist? I said, yes, sir. We do the family beach fest on Pensacola Beach. He said, I'm not going to say his name. He said, you're a young guy. All he does is talk about you, Adam. I said, Okay. And he said, that mother effer didn't even turn up for work today. And I said, why? Why? He said, he decided to take the day to fast and pray. You know your guy? He said to me, can't even turn up on time for work, but he wants to preach to everybody. Your guy can't even do a good job, but he wants to preach to everybody. And I am tired of it. And then all of a sudden, I nearly wanted to use some bad language too. Ah, thank the Lord I didn't. But I started realizing this young man was missing the message that I was preaching. When you're on the uh, job, your good work is the gospel that you're preaching. If you can't do a good job, shut your mouth. If you can't do a good job, stop preaching Jesus. What are you doing preaching Jesus and the Muslims working harder than you? What you doing preaching Jesus when that unbelieving transvestite is doing a better job than you? You got nothing for them if you can't offer anything different in your life. Your words are just falling on the ground. That's all you're doing. Your words are just falling on the ground. When you're on the job, it is your life that preaches the gospel. Eh, 
that street preachers can preach anywhere they want in the streets. But it's amazing. You get close to them. They can't even turn up on time for work. What a joke. That's the definition of a hypocrite. That's a hypocrite. Even Jesus said, woe to those that preach on the streets. Woe to those that lift up their voice in the streets. But they can't even live what it is they're talking about. Whoa. That's why everything that we do, we do it unto the glory of God. We don't just do it in the house of God unto his glory. We do it in our place of employment. We do it with our wives. We do it with our kids. We're doing all of it to the glory of God. In my life, when I was working in that world, I wasn't doing it for a paycheck like that. I was doing it for the glory of God. I didn't care about what the paycheck said. I'm doing what I do for the glory of God. I'm working not because I'm getting paid. I'm working because I want to be a testimony to everyone around me that my faith is better than theirs. My faith works. My faith actually does something in people's lives. And I watch God do that in my life. God wants to put favor on you. Not just favor in the house of God, but favor in your family. Favor in your workplace. Favor in all that you do. That's how this works. You should be turning up for God in your hard work for the Lord. Not just on the streets, but also in our place of employment. God has us all on a process, a process of learning. I'm an Irishman, so I learn best the hard way. I don't learn good like some. Some learn good just by reading the Bible and they get it and they apply. I learn best the hard way because Irish people are stubborn, stiff-necked. It's hard to teach an Irishman anything. We're like those old dogs that don't want to learn new tricks. That's just how the Irish are. That's how the Irish are. But how many of you know we got to be teachable if we're going to be believers in Jesus? How many of you know before you're an Irishman, you are Christian men? How many of you know you're not African when you're a Christian? You are a son of the Father in heaven, a child of heaven, and your citizenship is of heaven. Before our citizenship is of this earth, our citizenship is first of heaven. You don't excuse living different than Jesus lived because of your culture. You don't excuse living different than Jesus did because of your gender. You don't excuse living different because I'm from Chicago. I don't care if you're from Chicago. I don't care. Oh, that's Chicago culture. Who cares? I'm in Jesus culture. Oh, this is how, this is how Puerto Ricans do it. Oh, this is how Cubans do it. I don't care. Die to that. This is how Jesus does it. That's why Paul the Apostle, you know what he said? I'm of the tribe of Benjamin. Oh, he said, yeah. He said, I'm, I'm, the, I'm from Israel. I'm all these things. You know what he said? I count it all as dung. Are you willing to say, yeah, as an Irishman, I count that as dung compared to who I am in Jesus Christ. Yeah, I like a shepherd's pie every now and again, but I would rather eat up the word of God all day and all night. Let me tell you, put Jesus first in your life. Seek his kingdom first in your life. You don't seek any culture before you seek Jesus' culture. Jesus' culture is the most important culture that you could ever strive for. 
That may be convicting, but can you imagine how hard a truth that was for Paul to get a revelation of? Who was very proud of his ethnicity? Paul was like, I did the heritage.com. I did the ancestry.com. I know exactly what bloodline I am. I'll tell you right now, I did it too, and I'm a full-blown Gentile. I've done heritage.com. I'm as Gentile as you can get. I'm a Gentile, friends. There's no Jewish bloodline in my line, but in the blood of Jesus, I'm more of the house of God than those that are living in Israel right now with a bloodline to Abraham, but never repented, never put their trust in Jesus Christ. That temple down there in Jerusalem, you know why it's in ruins? Because Jesus' church replaced that temple. We are now the temple of the Holy Spirit. When you look at that temple, praise God it's in ruins. Let that mosque stay there for as long as it can be. Because I am the temple of the Holy Spirit. I got the Holy Spirit living inside of me. No, there's so many people today, they want to rebuild that temple in their flesh. But the only time that temple is going to get built is when Jesus comes back. When Jesus comes back, he will have a throne in Jerusalem. When Jesus comes back, he will set up his kingdom down there in Israel. But right now, as the church, we're as much of the bloodline of Abraham as Abraham was. We got the blood of Jesus. Because God cared about the seed of Adam as much as he cared about the seed of Abraham. God cared for the seed of Adam as much as he cared for the seed of Abraham. That's why Jesus said to the Jews, for God so loved the world. No, he only loved our people. No, all lives mattered to Jesus Christ. That's why Jesus Christ said, for God so loved the world. He cared for Adam's seed. Jesus was known as the second Adam. Because in Jesus Christ, there's neither Jew nor Gentile, male nor female, bond nor free. You are one in Christ Jesus. What a message. What a message. It doesn't get much better than that. In the Garden of Eden, God said to Adam and Eve, don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of evil. Oh, I missed that one part there, didn't I? He said, don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of evil. No, there's a part I'm missing there. What is it? You may know good and not know God, and you've missed the gospel. It wasn't only good that, that God wanted to protect them from. Of course he wanted to protect them from evil. But why, God, would you want to protect them from good? Because good is rooted in all religion. Good is what the Pharisees had. Good is what the Sadducees had. Good is what this world says they have. But we got something better than good. We got a relationship with God. This is why in the Garden of Eden, when man fell, Jesus found himself in a garden called Gethsemane. And there's a connection between the two gardens. In Eden, that relationship was broken. In the Garden of Gethsemane, we see what relationship is supposed to be all about. It was all about, what was it all about? Jesus could have made a choice in that moment. I'm not, I'm gonna, I'm not gonna drink that cup. Just like Adam and Eve. I'm gonna eat that tree. But Jesus was better than Adam and Eve. 
Because Jesus in that moment said, I don't want what I want right now. I want what the Father wants for my life. Do you only want what you want or do you want what the Father wants for your life? Do you only want to be preached what you want to hear or do you want to preach what God wants to say to you? Because when God speaks, he might pull an x-ray on you. When God speaks, he might pull some blood work on you. When God speaks, he might tell you about the mechanics of your vehicle. When God speaks, he might tell you that the, all the screws aren't tight on your wheels. When God speaks, you might not want to hear that because it's going to cost you something. You might not want to hear that because it's not exactly what you want to hear. Truth doesn't always feel good, but it's what we need. I don't want what feels good. I want the truth. Because it is truth that sets you free. Truth keeps you out of the emergency room. Keep, truth keeps you on the interstate. Truth keeps you alive as a believer. Truth is what we should eagerly desire. Give me truth. Give me truth. Because truth always makes us better. Jesus always made people worse off better. If they were hungry, he fed them. If they were sick, he healed them. Nobody walked away Jesus with a toothache. Nobody walked away with, from Jesus still limping. Nobody walked away from Jesus hungry. He met their need because he is the one that can meet all our needs. He is Jehovah Jireh. The God that will take care of you and take care of me. And if you put God first, who's to say that the world's going to shut you down? Look at Chick-fil-A. They put God first. They're shut down on Sundays and they're doing better than McDonald's. I don't want that garbage anyway. Look at Hobby Lobby. At one point they put God first and they're thriving. Don't have this poverty mindset as a Christian. Well, I'm a follower of Jesus so I'm going to live broke. You think Jesus lived broke? Matt, when the kings came to Joseph and Mary, they gave gold, frankincense, and mirror. You think those kings were going to the coupon aisle? You think, those, you think those kings were looking for the cheapest gift? No, when a king gave a gift, they gave the best gift. Joseph and Mary got hooked up. They went to Egypt hooked up. Let me tell you, from the age of 12 to the age of 30, Jesus worked with his hands. What do you think he did with his living after 18 years of working with his dad? You think Jesus just turned up with John the Baptist broke? No, he worked with his hands, with his dad. Let me tell you something, friends. Jesus had resources. So much resources, he designated one of his guys to carry around the purse. Resources coming into him. Let me tell you something. I want you to know God wants to resource you. He wants to take care of you. He wants to bless you. See, Joseph, friends, I want to talk about Joseph very quickly. Joseph heard from, from God. He was given a vision when he was a young boy, dreams, that his family one day would bow to him. And you know, Joseph's brothers got very jealous of him. And they wanted it just, oh, they just, it irritated them so much when Joseph started talking about how blessed he was. You know, his dad did a good thing from his dad's perspective was to give him a coat of many colors. Let me tell you something. When you wear a coat of many colors, it's a blessing. 
and a curse at the same time. Because when you walk around blessed of God, all of a sudden, those closest to you are the ones that want to tear you down the most. Isn't it interesting? You get that new car, and all of a sudden, someone has to make a jab at it. Well, it's electric. Oh, make, they just make a jab. It's like you get that new pair of shoes. I think I see a scuff on it. You go home to your family, and you're like, I'm going to be used of God. And they're like, you're going to be used of God? You don't even have your GED. You start sharing... Be careful sharing your dreams. Sometimes it'll be even those closest to you. Unfortunately, those closest to you can be your worst source of enemy. I hate to tell you that, but Jesus wasn't even welcome in his hometown. But that's not how it is at Metro Praise. Because we're a household of faith. We're not a household of unbelief. We're not a household of limitation. We're not a household of communism. We're not a household of, you can't do that, you can't do... No, with Jesus, there is nothing you can't do. Straight up with Jesus, there is nothing that you can't do. You just got to make sure you heard from God on that. But Joseph did. And you know what his brothers did to him? They tore his tunic off him. They got blood on it. First they wanted to kill him. Then they thought... Why kill him when we can make some cash off him? They were just about the money. So they made some money off him, all right, because they first left him in a pit, and then they were like, well, you know what? Let's tell the dad he was eaten by a wild beast, and then let's sell him to the camel traders that are on their way to Egypt. Make some cash off Joseph. Have you ever felt like people made cash off you? Have you ever felt like, man, I think you're only with me for the cash. I feel like you're just using me for the money. I feel like you don't want a relationship with me. You just want me because I got some bling bling. Let me tell you, there's people out there that will use you but never want to know you. There's people out there that want to use Jesus but never want to know Jesus. They want the goodness of God but they don't want God. They don't want to have a relationship with the Father. Let me tell you something, Joseph found himself in that situation. That's why when God speaks to you, be slow to speak it out to everyone about what he's going to do through you. Because let me tell you, time proves the call of God on your life. You can't just go around to everybody in a moment and tell everybody what you're going to do. They're going to look at you and go, what are you talking about? But with time, they will see that what you said was true. Because time proves the call of God on your life. I've seen that all the time, especially from Teen Challenge guys that get saved off addictions. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. Oh, give it some time, brother. That will be tried by time. Time will tell who you're going to be. You won't tell me who you are. Time will show me if what you're saying is true or not. Just give it some time. Say that. Just give it some time. Yeah, time proves it. See, Joseph was tried by time. Oh, he was in a pit, all right. Then he goes on to this slave trade situation, and he gets trafficked over there to Egypt. And he's working for a guy called Potiphar. And Potiphar's wife took fancy to him. Potiphar's wife obviously wasn't getting the affection and the love that her husband should have been giving her. And so she got bored with, Potiphar's, with Potiphar, and he's, she started looking at Joseph. Well, that young guy, he probably treat me well. Oh, she wanted Joseph real bad. But Joseph was like, I don't want you in my life. I'm serving the Lord. 
I'm putting God first. God satisfies my soul. God is my peace. God is where I find my joy from. I'm not getting involved in any type of relationship with you, Potiphar's wife. And you know, she took offense to that. Women, be very careful when you don't get what you want and you take offense to it. Because offense will make you do bad things. And she did a bad thing because she lied. Say lied. She lied and she set Joseph up to go to jail. Let me tell you something about Joseph though. He was so good at what he did. He was in management with Potiphar. And it hurt Potiphar to see Joseph have to end up in jail. He, he didn't really want it. He probably knew his wife was lying. It hurt Potiphar. It broke his heart that Joseph had to end up in that situation. But he had to please his woman. Sometimes pleasing your woman is not a good idea. Sometimes you're going to have to stand on the truth whether she's happy with it or not. Yes, yeah, Potiphar wasn't willing to do that. Potiphar was not willing to do that in that situation. <laughs> I don't know what's happening right now, but I'm trying, to, I'm trying to say something. But I feel the Holy Spirit, so I'm just going to keep going with it. Okay, so Joseph is in a situation now where Potiphar doesn't want to lose one of his hardest workers. So he ends up in jail. Say jail. While he was in jail, you know what Joseph did while he was in jail? He whined, he grumbled, he complained, he went, woe is me. He was like Eeyore the donkey from Winnie the Pooh. You don't want to be around some leech, leeching life out of you. Oh, it's bad weather. Oh, it's bad news. Get over yourself, man. We don't live by our feelings, we live by faith. My word says, no matter how dark those clouds are, the sun is still shining. Listen to me. We walk by faith, not by our feelings. Some of you are like, man, I wish I could go back to that one church. Remember that one in Chicago where I just felt all these chillbums coming over me? Man, I wish I could go back to that one season when, when all of a sudden I just felt something in the room. What's happened to me? I don't feel nothing anymore. Let me tell you what happened to you. You took the diapers off. You got off breast milk. And you started really realizing that you walk by faith and not by feelings. I don't want to feel the presence of God. I want to know God. It can't just be about your feelings. Your feelings will end you up in a strip club if you give yourself over to them. Your feelings will lead you to do the wrong thing every time. That's why we don't walk by feelings. We walk by faith in God's word. So I don't care how I feel right now. I'm walking in faith. I don't care what I see right now. I'm walking in faith because faith is what pleases God. If you don't got faith, you won't please God. Simple as that. What are you doing? Walking by your feelings? Walking by your emotions? I don't like my job. I'm just a cashier. You're no different than anyone else that's a cashier. Why don't you turn that cashier into a pulpit? If you're not faithful with where you're at, you will never get to where God wants to bring you to. Straight up. See, Joseph, while in jail, wasn't that way. In fact, he did the jail as, he, as unto the Lord. He was given the keys of the jail. He was such a trusted man, they gave the prisoner the keys. How does that work? Joseph was so good at what he did, he was getting keys while he was in the jail. Let me tell you something. 
Our God wants to put favor on you. Our God can put favor on us. And we need to start realizing everything we do, we do it unto God. And if you can't be faithful in the cashier, you will not be faithful in the pulpit. Oh, Adam, that's easy for you to say. What do you know about that? I could tell you what I know about that. I've lived this. But you didn't care. Come here to hear from me. You want to know the rest of the story. See, Joseph, while he was in prison, had two guys come to him with dreams. The first guy was the baker and the second guy was a cupbearer. The first guy, the baker, comes to Joseph and says, Joseph, man, I've had all these crazy dreams recently. And Joseph says, I can interpret that one for you, baker. Then the cupbearer says, really? I got dreams too. Would you, would you mind telling me about this one dream I'm being troubled with? And Joseph says, sure. So for the cupbearer, Joseph says to the cupbearer, here's the interpretation of your dream. Cupbearer, you're going to prosper. You're going to have prosperity. Oh, I feel your destiny. I feel your destiny. Money is coming to you now. Joseph's like, you about to get hooked up, cupbearer. And the cupbearer's like, really? Joseph's like, oh, yeah. Oh, 100%. He's like, thank you, Joseph. That's awesome, man. Then the baker's listening in, and the baker's like, I need some of that in my life right now. I'm in prison right now. I need some of that right now in my life. And then Joseph looks at the, at, at the baker and says, I got a word for you. Here's your interpretation. You're about to have a stake put up through your groin, and birds are going to pluck your eyeballs out, and you're going to die. See, that's the difference between a man of God and a prophet that's in it for the prophet. Well, we got a lot of prophets in it for the prophet, aren't they? <laughs> oh, they would love to prophesy to you. Prophesy, prophesy, prophesy. Anything to get something out of you. Anything to get something out of you. But Joseph was a prophet of God and told that man the truth. And guess what happened? That baker died and that cupbearer was restored to his position. And the Bible says for two years, say two years, Joseph was forgotten in that prison cell. That hurts when you're forgotten. Anybody feel forgotten right now? Anybody help someone in your past and now you're in need and they're nowhere to be found? Anybody in that situation, you feel rejected, you feel forgotten, you feel like, where are they now? Why aren't they in my life right now? You know, Joseph's still in prison. I bet Joseph was thinking, if I help this cupbearer out, he's going to get me to where I need to be. I bet Joseph was a little bit scheming a little bit. I'm just reading into it, but I'm thinking, well, you know what? He's with Pharaoh. I can get out of here right now. All that cupbearer has to tell Pharaoh is, hey, I was put in here unjustly, and I need to get out of here. But the cupbearer forgot about Joseph until one day Pharaoh had a dream. Say, Pharaoh had a dream. And Pharaoh couldn't get anybody to interpret that dream for him. All his sidekicks, all his wizards, all his satraps, all the leprechauns, all those people around him that he just had as counselors, all those that were trying to get him to the pot of gold, all those around him that were just tickling little Pharaoh's ears, not telling Pharaoh that his zipper was down. 
Not telling Pharaoh any type of truth. Not telling Pharaoh that your pants is hanging off you. Not telling Pharaoh he's got a booger coming out of his nose. Not telling Pharaoh nothing. Just, just, just telling Pharaoh what Pharaoh wanted to hear. And that's when the cupbearer started remembering Joseph needs to come out right now and talk to Pharaoh. And listen to me. Genesis chapter 41, verse 16. Joseph walks out before Pharaoh. Look at this. Chapter 41 and verse 16. And Pharaoh's like, well, hey, you're the dream interpreter. I heard about you, Joseph. I heard a lot of good things about you. You got a great reputation. You're amazing, Joseph. Wow, Joseph, I want to make a t-shirt and put your name on it. Joseph, you are awesome. Listen, it took 13 years for Joseph to get to this point where the dreams he had many years ago were about to be fulfilled in his life. Say this with me. Time proves the word of God in my life. Joseph thought it would all come immediately when he was a boy, but it took 13 years. What was God doing in Joseph's life for 13 years? I want you to notice Joseph is 30 years old right now. Same age Jesus was at. 18 years Jesus was working normally. He was working. Jesus wasn't preaching for 18 years of his life. He was working with his hands and living a normal life. Jesus knew how to enjoy working with his hands for 18 years. Oh, but you don't want to work with your hands. You just want to preach. Oh, you don't want to work with your hands. You just want a pulpit. Oh, you don't want to work with your hands. You just want ministry. Oh, if, if it was good for Jesus to work, it's good for you to work too. Amen. Listen to me. Look at verse 16. So Joseph answered Pharaoh. Shh. It is not in me. God will give Pharaoh an answer of peace. You know what God was doing in his life for 13 years? I was getting Joseph to a point where he realized it's all about the glory of God. It's all about the glory of God. It's easy to say amen. It's easy to applause that. Living that one out right there, brothers and sisters, takes time. It takes time to realize it's not about me. It's about God. Pharaoh, I'm not going to do nothing for you. God's going to do this. Fear, I wish I had it in me. I wish I could tell you this coat of many colors. I wish I could tell you it's when I got promoted with Pharaoh or with Potiphar. I wish I could tell you it was while I was in jail with the keys. That's when I would get the hookup. No. He had to be broken down so he could testify. This is the work of God in my life. 
The good you see right now is God working in me. It is God who works within me both to will and to do of his good pleasure. That's why we're on this journey. I'm going to close right now with Galatians chapter 1. Galatians chapter 1. Just you got to see this, everybody. If you got your Bible, this is a time to open it up. It'll be up on the screen, but I would like for you to read this later on. The worship leader can come. Galatians chapter 1. I want you to see this in verse 18. Say this with me. Time proves the calling of God on my life. Now, you have to understand what we're about to read is so important. And we're going to go into an altar call right now. But I want you to notice right here. Look at this. Verse 18 of Galatians chapter 1. Then after three years, say three years, I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and remained with him 15 days. Say 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James the Lord's brother. Now concerning the things which I write to you in deceit before God, I do not lie. I just want you to go down to chapter 2, verse 1 real quick. Then after, say, 14 years. Okay, that's all I wanted you to see. When Paul got saved on the road to Damascus by Jesus Christ, he says in his testimony that for three years he went off to Arabia. Went back to Damascus. Then he meets Barnabas, or he, he, in his mind, not Barnabas, but he, in his mind thinks, I need to get the blessing and the approval of the apostles. So he goes to Jerusalem. But because Paul had only been a new convert for three years, Peter was skeptical of, of Paul. Peter was like, I'll spend 15 days with you, Paul. Keep telling me your story. I want to hear a little bit about it. The other apostles they didn't turn up for Paul because they thought Paul was a persecutor. They thought Paul was a mole. They thought Paul wasn't the real deal. They thought Paul was just trying to get in behind enemy lines to find out their secret business. They had probably a lot of different opinions about Paul. Three years, 15 days. You know, Paul walked away that day going, why didn't they give me ordination? Why didn't they bless me? Why didn't they give me a certificate? Paul could have walked away saying, man, why didn't they give me affirmation? Why didn't they give me acceptance? Let me tell you something. Paul could have gotten his feelings at that moment. He could have gotten bitter and angry and walked away from Jesus altogether because he didn't get the approval of man. If you want the approval of man, you're not going to make it as a Christian. If you want the acceptance of man, you're not going to make it on the long journey. If all you're looking for is an applause, a tap on the back, an Instagram like, you're living for the wrong thing. See, that's what Paul could have at that moment stumbled him. But you know what Paul decided to do in that moment? I don't care what you all think of me. I'm serving Jesus anyway. I don't care what your opinions are about me. I'm serving Jesus anyway. I don't care if you don't like me. I'm serving Jesus anyway. I don't care what you think about me. I know what God says about me. And I'm going to trust his word over those opinions. 
You know what happened to Paul for 14 years? He was building churches all around the Mediterranean. And after 14 years, Paul comes back. And let me tell you, with Barnabas' recommendation, Paul's reputation went ahead for him. And based on the reputation and the time that Paul put in, he got favor and he was given the right hand of fellowship. Say that right now. Right hand of fellowship. Right hand of fellowship was given to Paul in that moment. And he got the apostleship, the anointing, everything came upon him. Let me tell you, time proofs. You've got a pastor, Joe. You've got a pastor, Nancy. They put time to see this happen. It took time for God to work. But that time is up and favor is coming like you can't even imagine it. Like you can't even imagine it. Because faithfulness will always produce good fruit. Stand to your feet across this room. Altar team, just stay put just for a moment. If you're here right now, you're battling in your mind a lot of different things. But the number one battle that you've got right now is that for some reason, you're easily offended by truth. For some reason, you're easily offended by truth. And God is convicting you of that right now. And you're realizing, I need to welcome more truth in my life. And if you're open to welcoming more truth in your life, and you're tired of offense, I want you to leave that seat where you're at, and I want you to come forward right now. You come forward right now. Leave the seat where you're at. Everyone's eyes wide open. Put your head up and look around. This is a time for a public stance to be made. I want Pastor Joe and the leaders to see this. You know why? Because we need to eagerly desire truth. And we got to say no to being easily offended. And we got to say yes to welcoming all the truth that we can in our lives. If you need to welcome more truth in your life, come forward right now. If you need to welcome more truth in your life, come forward right now. Come on, stand here in the spotlight so all can see you. If you need to welcome more truth in your life, you need to come forward right now. I'm going to be real with you. Some of you are looking on like, that's not for me. There should be a lot more coming forward at this moment. Search yourself right now. Is there anyone else in this room that needs to say, I need to welcome more truth in my life? Can the altar team come forward right now? This is a time to lean in with these brothers and sisters real quick. Now here's a second call I'm going to make right now. If you are struggling with where you're working at, you hate your job, you hate what you're doing, you just struggle where you're at. And there's a battle in your life right now for your job. You don't even want to, you don't even want to go to work tomorrow. You're like, man, can't Lollapalooza happen every single week? Why do I got to go back to work for? And the Holy Spirit is saying, I'm going to use you at work. And the Holy Spirit's saying, I can use you better at work sometimes than I could just you standing on a street corner. Because I can use you to be a light every day. And I can use you to make disciples on the job side. And you can bring them into church. And they can have fellowship and community. And they can hear a word like this. But you're struggling with your job. Leave your seat right now. If you will leave your seat, the Holy Spirit will change your perspective. 
of your job. You just got to acknowledge, Holy Spirit, I need you to change up that perspective of my job. I'll make it easier for you because a lot of people are still looking on. If you want to be a brighter light on your job, come forward right now. If you want to be a brighter light on your job, I want you to come forward right now. Well, that, that, I'm still seeing people not wanting to move. Are you speaking the same language I'm saying right now? That should be all of us, friends. Get your butt up here. Come up here right now. All of us. We're about to have a Holy Ghost moment. We need the Holy Ghost to change up our ways. We need the Holy Ghost to change up our attitudes. We need the Holy Ghost to change up areas of our lives. We want to be faithful. Say faithful. Faithful to the end. Say faithful to the end. Now lift up your hands across this room. Holy Spirit of God, you come down on this church right now in a way like man can't make it happen. Holy Spirit, I pray that you will break out revival in this house like never before. And I'm not talking just in this house, but in their homes, in their workplaces, everywhere that they go. Holy Spirit, let your fire burn within us. Let your fire burn within us. Oh, let's worship the Lord, sister. Let's sing this out with all of our hearts. Here is where I lay it down. Wow. Every burden, Come on. Every Holy crowd. Spirit is here right this now. This is my surrender. This is my If you're physically able to, let's go on our knees. Come on. If you're physically able to, let's go on our knees. If you can't, stay standing. But if you're physically this able to, is my sing it out from your heart right now. This is my Come surrender. Come on. Here is where I lay it down. Every burden, every crown. This is my surrender. This is my surrender. And here is where I lay it down. Every lie and every doubt. This is my surrender. And I will make room for you to do whatever you want to. To do whatever you
Just say this with me right now. Holy Spirit, you are in me to the end. If it takes 13 years, if it takes 18 years, if it takes 17 years, he who began a good work in me will be faithful to complete it unto the end, unto the end. Holy Spirit, I surrender to you. Every day, I walk in your strength. I walk in your power. Make me more like Jesus. Let the fruit of Jesus be seen in me. If I get in the way of it, break it up so you can let the light of Jesus shine through me. I surrender to you. Let's just speak in tongues across this room. If you're not baptized in the Holy Spirit, you're about to get it. Let's turn it up a little bit, guys. Can we turn it up? I heard the sound of a rushing wind. Shake it at a bucky, shake it at a bucky.